All right. Colossians uh, lesson five, and we're still in chapter one. It's a good thing I'm not going through the book of uh, Isaiah. We'd be here for a while, or Jeremiah, or one of those. I'm going through Jeremiah in my morning Bible reading, but uh, it's a long book, or Psalms, but uh, they're all good. So, um, so let's go ahead, and I want to go ahead and read Colossians, starting in verse one, down to about uh, 23 today. Not quite the whole chapter, but again, put yourself in in the mode that Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae because he's wanting to give them some Bible knowledge. And then he's wanting to give them that Bible knowledge so they'll take it and use it. Now, in our church, we get a lot of Bible taught. And sometimes I think we get, you know, some of us take that for granted. I know I know, a lot of us do. And if if you don't understand that, go to a different church and let them teach the Bible and you're like, oh my gosh. We don't realize what we have with, with the Bible teaching that goes on. And yet, you know, we don't want to do that in our personal life. We don't want to just take what God is giving us for granted because He's been, He's given us a lot. He's given us, He's given me some good Bible instructors in my life, even though some of them have went AWOL. They still taught me the Bible. And so I've got to make sure I don't go AWOL also because all of us can do that. And so I've known good pastors that just, that are not in the ministry now because they just threw away everything that they taught and everything they, they had done at one time. They just used that free will of theirs to just do the opposite. And it basically destroyed their relationship with, with, uh, uh, not not with the Lord. They still they're still saved, but their rewards in heaven at the judgment seat of Christ are going to be a lot more limited. And we're going to be actually talking about that a little bit today. Uh, our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. So any of you guys think about that when we stand before Christ, and we're like number one, uh, we're saved. So hallelujah! But we're going to have to give an account of our life here to Christ. And so that should put a little fear in our life. But, you know, a lot of us are from Missouri and a lot of us Harrisonville mentality. Well, we'll think about it, you know, at the very last minute. No, we need to be planning that out all the time because uh, uh, we need to be concerned about our relationship with Christ with among others. But yet when we stand before Christ to give an account. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of things. It's like, hmm. Um, I'd like to have a do-over on that. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit too. I think that's in my notes today. But So Paul is writing to this church and he's writing to them to give them knowledge and they, he wants them to walk in that. And so from Paul's perspective, he's trying to give them something that's going to really help them. So on the church's side, the church at Colossae, they need to take that information and use it because Paul's never met these people. He's only writing to them. And in the same way, it's like Paul writing us a letter today. You know, I, I, I will throw this out here. The New Testament books, specifically the church epistles, the ones that Paul has written, I would say are probably the most important books in the Bible for us. And I know people will go, oh, every, every book in the Bible is, is, is for us. Well, not technically. It is... It's not to us, they may be for us, but my point I'm trying to say is, if I only had a certain amount of books in the Bible to have, the Pauline 
epistles would be the one that I would want because that's the ones that are written to the church. Okay? All of them are important, but the books written specifically to the church, and since last I looked, we live in the church, we are living in the church age, these books are written directly to us. I mean, directly to us. Yes, it's good to know the Old Testament. It's good to follow. Uh, we don't follow the Old Testament law, do we? You know, we may, well, you know, following the, the Ten Commandments is something good. But we don't follow the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Why? Because they're not for us, even though we need to know about them. But Paul's book, his books, his New Testament epistles to the church, we need to really know. Because that's the ones written for us. And so I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and start in Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae. Now let me stop here for a minute. Who's he writing to? The, the church at Colossae. But more than that, he calls them saints, and we dealt with that. But he's talking about people in Christ. So they're saved. This is a saved group of people. Okay. So we got to remember that as we go through the book. The same as a saint? As, yes. A saint is a... We went through that a week or two. It's in our notes that, yeah, saint is not what the Catholic Church says. A saint is a born-again believer. Okay. okay, or it would be a believer in the Old Testament. So, it, it says saints, but why did you? Yeah, why did you want to? Why did you point out people in Christ? <laughs> uh, because there will be people that might say this book may not relate to the church, or is for the church, or who it's written to. And I want to point out right off the bat, this church, this book is written to people that are saved. Again, just information to have in the back of your mind, okay? Because um, some of the things in, in this book that you'll get people coming up with all kinds of unbiblical truths, where they call them truths, unbiblical ideas based off what they read. And so one one thing they'll they'll throw out. Well, you know, you, you said in Colossians this, and that applies to everybody. No, it applies to the people in Christ. And so I'm not saying that lost people can't read Colossians and get something out of it, but it's specifically written to those in Christ, in the church, okay? The saints, yes. Saints. So, number two. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. For this cause, because of what he's told us about you, 
For this cause, we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that's a fabulous start of that prayer. If somebody prays for me, if you want to pray for me, pray that I am filled with God's knowledge and then I walk in that knowledge. That's a fantastic prayer. Okay? So I, I hope all of us have people that pray for us. And I hope this is something they can pray for. You know, a lot of times I think we pray for things just like pie in the sky. Well, you know, I'm going to pray for him. And is this kind of generic? You want to be specific? Pray that they are filled with God's knowledge and pray that they would walk in that knowledge. I mean, that's pretty simple, right? Verse 11, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power and all patience and long-suffering and joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now this prayer just goes off into giving them some knowledge of who Christ is. Okay? Verse 13, who? Christ hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us. Remember, I said that there's another word we can use for translate. What was that? Anybody remember? I know it's only it's only been two weeks. Transfer. We use the word transfer. Anybody use the word translate in their normal vocabulary? Unless you're translating the Bible, you know we don't talk about. Well, this guy, this dude was translated yesterday. When <laughs> no, we don't talk like that. But we might say, hey, this guy got transferred. It's the same root word. So God has translated us. He's transferred us into His kingdom of His dear Son, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is, so He's still talking about Christ, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Or they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. So He just starts right off the bat. Here's what I want you guys to know. I want you to know who Christ is. Because Christ is way more than just the Son of God. And He lays this all out to this church. Verse 17, And He, Christ, is before all things. And by Him, Christ, all things consist. And He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things that he might, or that he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him, Christ, should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him, Christ, to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, again Christ, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated, the enemies in your mind, by the wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Verse 23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, made a minister. I'm going to just keep reading the rest of the passage. Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, 
Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery, which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of, of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereby I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Now, man, there is a lot in that that I've read. And I read through that pretty fast. But let's go back. Verse 9 and 10 says, I'm praying for you that you will be filled with God's knowledge and that you'll walk in that knowledge. And then when you skip down to verse 28, it says... Whom we preach, he's been talking about Christ, whom we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, there's your godly wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Who's the we in that verse 28? No. It's Paul. It's Paul and Timothy in the group praying. He goes, my goal for you is this that we can present you perfect, complete in Christ. Okay? So, right there, it's like Paul's saying, when you guys stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our goal is to complete you, is to, is to present you complete in Christ. In other words, he goes, our goal for you guys is that when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, you are complete in Christ. And, and I know we are complete in Christ. But, but he's trying to let them know our, our end goal here is to teach you God's Word, how to live it in your life, and that when you stand before Christ, we've done everything we can do to get you to be the man that God wants you to be. Now I know it's still God that does that in our life, and Christ that does it in our life, but Paul's goal for them is, he goes, my goal for you, I'm doing this, because my goal for you guys is to be able to stand before Christ and be complete. Unless they know God's knowledge and they walk in that knowledge, they can't, we can't be complete. We have to focus on His Word. So on our handout here, let's go through this a little bit. Last week we talked about the fullness of Christ in creation. And we saw that in verses about uh, 13 down through about 17. And the fullness of Christ in creation, you got a blank there anywhere? No, Maybe not. Uh, oh, at the, at the end. Okay, so the fullness of Christ in creation is there is no one else. What do we get out of this? Nobody else in creation. It's only Christ. And my point is, you got everybody else go, well, there was a big bang, you know, two things collected, this happened, that happened. No, Christ happened. Okay? There is no, there is no other explanation for creation other than Christ. Because it was all Him. Okay? Christ is before all things. Christ is the creator of all things in heaven and in earth. Christ sustains all things. These are things we looked at uh, two weeks ago. And Christ has preeminence over all things. So the buck stops with, and you got a blank. Who goes in that blank? Don't say Harry Truman. It's Christ. Okay. Cause, right, didn't, didn't Harry Truman have a, a, a uh, board or a little sign on his desk that says the buck stops with me. Did you guys learn that? 
Okay? Um, it doesn't. <laughs> okay. Now, that's probably a good thing to have on your desk if you're the president, but you know what? I've kind of learned that the president's not that much anyway. I mean, he thinks he is, but he really isn't. But Harry Truman had a sign, a little plaque that says, the buck stops with me. No, it doesn't. It stops with Christ because he is the one in charge. He's, I think our pastor Brian says he's, he's large and in charge, right? He's the creator. He is God. There is no one else, okay? The buck stops with Christ, okay? And we've seen that already. He's telling them, guys, I'm giving you the foundation that you need because when you start going outside and seeing these other guys and they start talking about philosophy and the Greek philosophers and uh, all this other garbage, he goes, let me tell you right off the bat, I don't care what the scientists are telling you. I don't tell what the psychiatrists are telling you. I don't care what any of these just guys are telling you. Christ is God and He is the creator of all things. Okay. And I know you guys know that. I don't have to beat that into you. You guys already know that. You know. Do you guys believe in the Big Bang Theory? I do. God said it. Bang, it happened. But that's a different definition what everybody else uses. I used to tell people that. You did? Uh, but when we, when, when I say that, yeah, I believe in that big, big bang theory, that's not what other people think. It's like talking to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. What they talk about Christ is completely different of what I say. But I'll just be point blank. Christ created all things, and it's by Him where all things created. And He, He keeps things, uh, going. I, I was telling Bob out in the lobby, uh, Bob Klein, I said, you know, every once in a while I watch a movie just because just it's a silly movie and I just watch it, you know. And so I was watching this movie and I had Carrie watch it. She's probably like, why are you watching that? It was a movie where uh, uh, it was, there was a problem with the moon. It got hit by a meteor and it knocked it off orbit. And so they're going to try to put it back in orbit. And they decided at the end that they're going to have to put a nuclear bomb on the moon and blow it in half. So it could get back to where it's at. And I'm like, number one, let's think about this. God controls what's going on. Number two, if you blow up the moon, what's going to happen to the earth? I mean, it made no sense. But I'm like, but that's what science wants to talk about. Well, you know, there's black holes here. There's this, that. And we're thinking this theory. Do you have anything to sustain that by? No. You go back to the Bible, the Bible tells us what happened. God did it, it's, Christ did it, and it's there. So, uh, Christ keeps things going. Glo- this global warming stuff, I just read the other day somewhere they're wanting to kill off all the animal, all the cows and all that. I'm like, because of global warming. I'm like, just how dumb do you think we are? There's a lot of dumb people out there, but... Uh, from us farmer type attitude, we're like, no, you're just shutting our food supply off. That's what you're doing. Oh well. Let me get back to our, our hand out here. So, that was our review. So the fullness of Christ in our redemption. So, we see that in this passage here. That Christ is it. There is no one else. I think that what is what goes in your blank. Okay. Christ is the fullness of our redemption. So, if we're redeemed, it's all Christ. It's all Christ. There is no one else. Okay? There's no other way to get to heaven except through Christ. You got anybody have a good Bible verse for that? 
John. Yeah, what verse is that? John 14, 6. John 14, 6. That's it. You know, so you guys go with these, you know, somebody asks you a question. All you got to do is give them some Bible. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Almost no one gets to the Father but by me. That's not what it says. He is the only way. Okay? And again, the church at Colossae needs to know that info too. So Paul is giving them... He's giving them who Christ is, what He has done right off the bat because He's wanting to give them some knowledge of what they need to have. He need, He wants to give them God's knowledge, okay? So what has Christ done for us? Well, in our verse here, I think it's in 20, it says, "...and having made peace through the blood of His cross..." By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, Christ, I say, whether they be things in earth or in heaven. So what has Christ done for us? He has made peace. Peace goes in your blank. Peace with us through the blood. Now, I'm not quite sure why it says blood of his cross. I haven't quite figured that out. So maybe one of you smart persons can let me know on that because I don't know everything. We wait for you. Oh, you wait on. <laughs> well, you may be waiting a long time on some stuff. I was telling, I think it was Bob Klein this morning, the more I read the Bible, the more dumb I think I get because I don't know what, there's always more questions out there. You read, and if, and if you're reading your Bible and you don't, and you don't have a couple questions, something is wrong with you. Because every time you read your Bible, you're going to have a question. You're going to have several questions. And so I used to just write them down and keep reading in my daily Bible reading because I'd go off on a rabbit trail and I wouldn't get my Bible reading done. So just write it out, go back and look at it later. But anyway. Collaboration with God. And so I had to go back and, I mean, I kind of knew what it meant, but I wanted to go back and see what that word meant. I even went to Noah Webster 1828. And I looked at it, and it didn't have what this book was trying to say. And so I go, hmm, this book isn't good for me. Okay. So I just threw it away. There's a lot of times I've got to look up the definition of a word because I don't use that word. And that's the best dictionary to use. The, the Noah Webster's 1828 edition, and they sell them, I think, in our resource center. Uh, if you look at the front page of that, uh, that page is a reprint because that had kind of went out of, I mean, 1828's way back there. Um, and there was a lady by the name of, her last name was Hall, which I found was kind of interesting because most of the Halls I see in history are all kind of rotten, like they're Freemasons or, you know, Luciferians or, no, they're not. And, I mean, but she probably is. I'll, I'll take her good. Yes, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking that. Is this lady related to me somehow? And I'm trying to do some research on her. But this lady decided, she goes, you know what? We have got to get back to, to a Christian base. And this was in the 60s, I think. So she started an organization. And as a result, they reprinted the 1828 Noah Webster's Dictionary and tried to get that dictionary back in the schools. I just couldn't understand why they didn't use the co-laborer like we know with God as opposed to that word because that I can even say collaboration collaboration it's like that doesn't even sound like it should be there co-laborer with God because 
I've heard that mentioned several times before, and so I'm thinking that's the better words to use. Okay, yeah. There's a lot of times they'll change the word, and it's worse than what if they would have left it. Okay, so we'll keep going here. Good comment. Um, no. So what if I asked you guys to give me a definition of peace? What would you guys say? Give me a word for for peace. What do you guys think of when I when Calmness. calm? Anything else? Rest. Rest. Okay. That's what we hear a lot is the rest. But let me ask you, if 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 a lost person dies and they go, Well, be it be at peace. Is he gonna be at peace? No. They're not, are they? So rest isn't quite right. Because it says here in verse twenty, it says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross. So what does peace mean? Okay, so we use it as calmness, comfort, unity, rest. Anybody else? The absence of war. The absence of war? Okay. Um, I like that. I like the unity. Um, because that's what I have down here, so you get a star there. Uh, he has made peace which is with us through the blood. So we have unity, but more importantly, we have... Uh, peace means to make completeness. I probably spelled that wrong, but here's the thing. So when we have peace with God through the blood, we have, He has made us complete. We have completeness. Rest isn't quite right. I mean, we do have rest. But really, when God, when Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection through the blood, He has made us complete. He's given us peace. He's made us complete. Okay? So, um, but not only has He made peace with us, your next blank under B says, He has reconciled us. Unto Himself. Okay? Not just us, but all things in earth and heaven. That's kind of interesting study. And then he has presented us as a new creature. So new goes in your blank. We're under C. Unto himself. So we are now holy in his sight. We are now unblameable in his sight. And we are now unreprovable in his sight. So when, when Christ, uh, uh, what has He done for us? Just start lining all this up. He's made us complete. He's He's given us unity. He's given us completeness. Uh, he's reconciled us. He's He's made us a new creature. He's we're now holy. We are now unblameable. We are now unprovable. Christ has redeemed us through His blood. So blood goes in your blank. Verse fourteen.
So let me back up here again. So what does redeemed mean? Okay, purchased. Uh, what else did you say? I said pulled us from. Okay, to be redeemed means to be freed. We have been loosed from. Yes, we've been. You get something for that coupon. So, we've been purchased. Purchased. Right. Through his blood. Right. So, redeemed means to be loosed or to be set free, to be freed. Okay. So, Christ has redeemed us through his blood, verse 14, and Christ has made peace with us, with God. Through His blood, and Christ has reconciled us through His blood. Again, you got to get the old dictionary out and go through all those, and a good dictionary, or a, a Strong's Concordance or a Young's Concordance. I'll help you with that. So, when Christ, uh, through His blood, we have been redeemed. He has made peace with us. Uh, he has reconciled us. I mean, man, you just go down the list one after another. And so basically with Christ, we have a complete redo. Have you ever, have you ever had somebody go, hey, do over, do over. I want to do over here. Mulligan. What's that? Mulligan. Mulligan. What, what is that? A do over. A do over. Okay. Oh, so I, I, okay. Okay. You know, it's like, how many of you would like to go back and have some do-overs on things you've done in your life? All of us, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, I hear people say all the time, well, I'd like to go back, you know, to where I was 20. Oh, no, I would never want to go back to when I was 20. I'm like, are you crazy? I mean, I would love to go back and fix a bunch of this stuff that I did. You can't change anything if you go back. Because the outcome today wouldn't be the same. I still want to do it over. <laughs> there are still things that I wished I would have done differently. And so, you know what? Adam and Eve sinned. And so, they couldn't do a do-over, but God has fixed it. And so, what what Christ has done for all of us, He's given us a do-over. Because at one time, we were enemies of God. In fact, I think that's on our handout coming up. But I mean, we were enemies of God and He has done a do-over in our lives. So now we are back to where we should have been at the beginning. Okay, So Christ has redeemed us. He has made peace with us. He's reconciled us. I mean, just go down the list that we see here. And it says here, all there's, there's two words that keep popping up from about verse 14 down to verse 17. Let's just read that. Uh, and the, I'm going to give you what the words are. It's all things. Okay, so let's look at this. Okay, 14. In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. See, there's another thing that we have through the blood. Forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things. Okay, hold on to that. Created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. For He is before all things. And by Him 
all things consist. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 18, And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Uh, let me see if we have any more here. That may be the end of... Um, in 20. 20 says it. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. So, again, I'm a little weird on certain things. The all things on all of those don't all refer to all things. And I'm like, okay, so now I've got to back up and explain this a little bit. Okay, so on your handout it says the all things in verse 16 and 17. And you'll see them in verse 18 and 20. The all things of verse 16 and 17 refer to what? They refer to his creation. Okay, creation goes in your blank. Which is all things. Yes, but the, 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 the category I guess that I'm looking at is creation. Okay. The all things in verse 18 and, and 20 on your handout says, refer to all things that accept reconciliation on the earth. And those all things in those two verses are talking about New Testament believers and Old Testament saints. Because remember, I made a big deal about in Christ when we first started today. Those verses, let's go back and look at them. Verse 18, the context changes from creation to the church. Does everybody see that? Because it says, verse 18, and he, Christ, is the head of the body of the church. The context just changed from creation to now it's the church. Okay? Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you're looking at me like, what in the world are you trying to get at here? Okay, so hang with me a little bit. Okay. There are people that read that word, let's go back, that will read verse 20 like this. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be thrones in, of in earth or things in heaven. And, and and let me just stop there. And they go, well, God's going to reconcile everything to him. So guess what? Everybody is going to be reconciled. All things are going to be reconciled unto Christ. What all, what, what all things? Does Satan get reconciled with Christ? No. Do lost, believe, do lost people get reconciled with Christ? Not unless they've accepted Him as Lord and Savior. So the point I'm trying to make out here is that at the beginning here in 14 through about 16, we're talking about all things that are created. In 17 or in 18 and 20, we're taking we're talking more specifically of all those in Christ. Okay. 
Because people will use that verse to say, we don't need to witness to people. People do not get, need to get saved because it says right here that God's going to reconcile all things to Himself. And there are some churches that teach that. And so what Paul is beginning to do here in the book of Colossians is to teach them some truth because they're getting infiltrated by some bad doctrine coming in. So right off the bat here, he's giving them the who Christ is, what he's done, what he's done for him. I'm going to put him right up here so when these people start coming in and saying things that are not true, that are not that Christ isn't enough or somebody else is doing it, you already know the truth. Okay? So the all things in 18 and 20 refer to all things that accept him or that are in Christ. So the only things that get reconciled unto Christ at either the judgment seat of Christ or at the great white throne judgment are those people that have accepted God in the Old Testament or accepted Christ in the New. Outside of that, no. Okay? So hopefully I haven't wasted your mind here with that. I got a little bit on the second page, number two. So what has Christ taken away from us? Well, we were... At one time, we were being alienated from God. So he's taken that away. The second thing, B says, being enemies by our thoughts and our wicked actions. Christ has taken that away. Okay. And then Christ's expectation we saw in verse 22 and 23 is to live holy, to live unblameable, and to live unreprovable. And I'll try to speed through this a little bit. So we're going to get down to verse... 23. And I want to focus on this for just a little bit. Because it says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. And let me just stop for a minute. What does that kind of sound like when you just read that? If you don't mess up. Yeah, it almost sounds like, well, if you continue in the faith, then, then everything's good. That's true. If you don't continue in the faith, are you going to lose your salvation? No, but that's not what you Aha! Okay. So, right here it says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, there are some people that will start to teach that, see, you have got to do good works. And if you don't, you, you just lost your salvation. But that's not what that if there is talking about. And they'll use this verse. It says, if you continue, you've got to continue in the faith, and if you don't, then you're, you're just out of luck. No. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereby Paul made a minister. So basically, the if in verse 23 is not referring to losing your salvation. And I know you guys all know this. I'm, again, I'm trying to, what's the book say? Why is Paul writing it there? Because it is referring to losing your rewards. Rewards goes in your last blank. At the judgment seat of Christ. Both verse, and then the, the, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians 5.10. So let's go look at that. 2 Corinthians 5.10. It 
Second Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to, to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Okay? So, when Paul is reading, and he's getting to this point, he's bringing it up, this all the way up to verse 28 of Colossians, where it says, Whom we preach... Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. His goal is to be able to present the Colossians perfect in Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. The if of verse 23 is not talking about our salvation. It's talking about our, our judgment that will take place at the judgment seat of Christ. I've probably been losing some of you guys, but um, maybe losing myself. So when you go through this, in the body of his flesh through death to present you, verse 22, holy and unblameable and reprovable in his sight, if you continue, if you continue doing what's right, then when you stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, we will, then, then your walk will be good, you'll be rewarded, and that's what we want for you. Number one, Christ wants that for you, but we also want that for you. But how do you get there? So, let's say if you're talking to a Christian and you go, you know what, the end goal is, my end goal for you guys, because I'm teaching you God's Word is, I want you to be able to stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ and have, and be able to stand before Him unashamed. That's why I want you and be able to stand there and be rewarded because you have lived out the knowledge with your walk. That's what he's trying to tell them. Now, how do you get to that point if you guys continue to keep doing what's right? If you continue to keep walking the talk. I think that's what I wanted to say here. Uh, again, but then people will look at that and say, well, it says right here, you've got to continue being in the faith, being grounded and settled. And if you don't, then then you're lost. Then you can lose your salvation. So what's happening in Colossians, there's some bad doctrine getting into that we'll get in in the next couple of chapters. But this is kind of the pretense to get there. He's trying to ground them completely in Christ so that when the when the false doctrine starts to creep in, they already know how to combat it. Same thing in our life. People, have you guys heard that? Well, you've got, you've got to show good works, and if you don't, then you're probably not really, you better check your salvation. If your son truly got saved when he was, when Scott truly got saved when he was younger, and he's just not walking it, he's still truly saved. Now, his, his, his rewards at the judgment seat of Christ are not going to be as good as they should have been. Okay? It's just, I need, other than saying what you just said, Lord, how what what can be done? And I'm praying that he wakes up and realizes that his walk with you is is more important than he thinks. Okay, and so Paul's he's starting with the church at Colossians. He's given them some Bible, and he says, "My end goal, I want you to be." filled with God's knowledge. I want you to live that out in your life. And then when you stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, I want to be able to present you guys unblameable, holy and true. That's my result for you guys. So that's what we see in uh, chapter 1. 
And so we'll start chapter 2 um, next week. But again, there's, a, there's a, going to be a lot of false doctrine that they're going to be dealing with. And so that's why I, I'm making a big effort. Who's it written to? What's going on? What does the if mean? What does the all mean? And so there's all these things. I don't know about you, but I read the Bible and I'm like, I read it and I'm like, now what did I just read? <laughs> it went in one ear and out the other. I'm like, I need to, okay, what's God trying to tell me? So sometimes you just have to slow down and look at things like the all things. Have you guys ever looked at that? Is that those two all things are not the same. One was creation, all things. The other one was in the church, all things. But all things that are in the church, not things outside of it. Okay, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that is truth, that that is the only truth that we have is your word, Lord. And I pray that you would just open up your word to us. Help us have a desire to see it. Help us to have a desire to know you better. And Lord, help us to have a desire to to fulfill what you want us to, to not just know but to do. And also, Lord, help us to realize that our job that we have is to reconcile people to you like Christ has reconciled us to him. So I pray that you give each one of us today, uh, this week, uh, this coming months, open doors to get the gospel out to the people around us. And I just pray you help us to see those doors and then give us the words to say. And I pray that we would be a open witness for you with our life by what we say and by what we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.